Hello, 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 and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. I am your host and editor-in-chief, Brock Wilbur. How are things out there? How is your world going? Things seem to be opening up okay. And not just businesses, uh, people on the inside. When this first started, I had this whole list of to-do stuff that I was like, you know what? Some of this has been on the list for four years. I'm going to knock it out. I just keep writing down time and time again. This is the day you get a visa. I've never left the country. Just want to get a visa. And then I'd be ready to do so. Knock that out. DMV got open. Got it in there. Uh, I am putting together some of my music recording stuff, which has been on the list for, I'm going to say, seven years. That's how long I've been away from this. I wrote a song yesterday. I had the ability to write a song. It was really nice. Um, over the weekend, drove to my hometown of Salina, Kansas. Spent a couple of days with my mom and dad, uh, safely distanced, uh, and just uh, getting to see them for the first time in months. And, uh, and my grandmother, too. And my grandmother has... A series of nurses that come in round the clock every day. So if she was going to catch it, she would have caught it by now. They they work in the medical field and, and there's just 20 of them. She's been exposed to more people than I can imagine. She just turned 80. Uh, she's had arthritis since the age of 20 that keeps her from moving. Somehow she just cannot and will not die. And it's not going to be uh, COVID-19 that gets her. So it's just nice to see her and kind of... A fascinating side effect of all this was that uh, family members that I usually get into odd political debates with or uh, we don't see eye to eye about things. None of that happened. I think that everyone uh, spent so much time inside that instead of going stir crazy, everything just sort of got straightened out. It's like, you know, here's the things that are important and here are the things that are not. And it, it, it made for... Some of the best conversations I've ever had with my family, which was like I was driving home from it and was like, okay, that's a odd series of things that just happened. And then I sat down and wrote a song. Feel pretty good about my life right now. Feel pretty good about things. We over at The Pitch have been having just a heck of a week. Uh, I am hopping on the recording here just after we published a piece from Liz Cook uh, about the uh, terrible uh, practices around employment uh, revolving around a dinner theater uh, in Overland Park. Uh, and within the hour of us publishing it, the theater announced that it was probably shutting down. Uh, we're not trying to shut down businesses, but we are trying to shut down bad actors and people that genuinely, especially in this case, uh, were putting lives in danger in this community. Which feels like what the pitch is here to do. Uh, to to share some dumb stories sometimes. Uh, to uh, To talk about a lot of food and drink. And then occasionally to just absolutely dismantle bad actors in our community for the safety and the sake of others. And to be uh, leading the charge on this, gosh, I couldn't be prouder. prouder. Gosh, I couldn't be prouder of the work that happened here today. So uh, riding high off of that one right now. We have a great episode of the show today. First up today, uh, my friend Jason Clam uh, from Stolen Dress Entertainment. Uh, a tremendous actor, a tremendous voiceover guy. You're going to be hearing a lot more of him in the future. Uh, he is going out of his way to record uh, a lot of our extended articles from the magazine because I figured out as editor, I do not have time to do that every week. Uh, it, it is it is too much, but you will enjoy 
his dulcet tones. He also has a, just a tremendous history as a background actor in Hollywood. He has a book that he's pitching that I hope somebody picks up about the hundreds of TV episodes that uh, you can sort of see the back of his head in. It's, it's just incredible. Anyway, this is Jason reading a piece that Liz Cook, uh, aforementioned as writing our great piece today, wrote about accepting your quarantine body as we come out of this and how uh, no matter how good or bad things are, it's cool. No one's ever been through this before. Just be cool with what you're doing. Uh, it's the only way to move forward. Your body is a temple, or maybe not, whatever. Accepting your pandemic body changes is the healthiest choice possible. By Liz Cook. The last time I saw Charles Feruza, the pitch's longtime former restaurant critic, he gave me some advice. Stay thin, he said, in the low conspiratorial voice one might use to say, the bouillabaisse is poisoned, or beware the Babadook. I knew he was thinking about health. He dealt with more than his share of medical problems and wanted to spare me the pain. But I was thinking about the frisbee-sized chocolate chip cookie I'd just eaten and the skinny jeans embossing a seam pattern into my thighs. It's hard to avoid comments about weight when you're a semi-professional eater. When I tell people I'm a restaurant critic, I get a lot of fat-phobic variations of, if I did that, I'd weigh 300 pounds. The 300 pounds is ostensibly a joke, the punchline, the hyperbole of it all. 300 pounds? Me? Can you imagine? Laced into the subjunctive mood is the implication that our bodies are fragile, that any change in circumstance or lapse in vigilance could dramatically alter them, like, say, a global pandemic. When COVID-19 made landfall, hurricane metaphors seem appropriate here. Nearly everyone's routines were disrupted in some way. We may not have been eating in restaurants, but many of us were eating and drinking more than usual. For my part, I started eating handfuls of chocolate chips from a bright red pillow-sized bag, while staring out the window like a passenger on a halted train. My nightly cocktail became plural. I worked out when I wanted to, which was almost never. And, as if through a trick of targeted advertising, my social media feeds seemed to proliferate overnight with guilt-soaked memes about gaining, or avoiding, the COVID-19. People have this deep-rooted fear of weight gain, and that's coming through in the Twitter jokes and memes, says Cara Harbstreet, a registered dietitian. And it's perpetuated by a lot of really influential voices, too, which is creating additional stress. Harb Street owns Street Smart Nutrition, a business that takes a non-diet approach to health. That approach was a natural extension of her time as an athlete and sports nutritionist, where she was exposed to disordered eating and a singular focus on the number on the scale. And those hang-ups, she says, can be counterproductive. Chronic dieting rarely leads to healthy outcomes in the long term. And when diets fail... Other healthy behaviors, exercise, sleep, hygiene, tend to fall by the wayside as well. Lauren Thompson, owner and instructor at Thrive Pilates and Movement Studio on the West Side, agrees. Everybody is doing some emotional eating right now, and that's okay. We live in an extraordinary time. I think if you start shaming yourself for the eating, that makes it less likely that you're going to engage in other healthy behaviors. Thompson deliberately avoids talk about weight loss in her studio. Before opening Thrive in 2015, she worked as a licensed professional counselor and also interned at an eating disorder recovery house. She says the weight jokes and memes that have been circulating during the COVID-19 crisis aren't likely to create healthy habits. Shame is not a good motivator. So many people have a history with working out as a shaming thing, 
you're not good enough as you are right now. We need to change you. So it's really hard for some people to have a positive movement experience. How then do we take care of ourselves without falling into those traps? What does it even mean to make healthy choices in the middle of a pandemic when our set of choices has winnowed so drastically? I asked Harb Street, Thompson, and yoga instructor Jill Gillespie for some practical, shame-free advice on how to think about health in the middle of a health crisis. You don't have to be a body positivity proponent to treat your body well. If you're struggling with body positivity, you're not alone. For years, I've had an okay-for-thee-but-not-for-me attitude towards self-love. I cheer on my friends and their bodies over drinks, then go home and appraise my own in the mirror like a stern antique dealer. As long as thinness offers access to social capital, we're going to feel some pressure, whether internal or external, to look a certain way. Instead of stewing in meta-guilt, Gillespie recommends aiming for body neutrality instead. Body-neutral statements are just accepting that your body is doing everything that it can to keep you alive, she says. And that at any time you're struggling with food or feel like you're failing a diet, it's because your body is trying to fight the restriction. It's about getting to that baseline acknowledgement that you're not a bad person for not being good at diets. Don't treat workouts as punishments. Eating is not a sin, and workouts aren't plenary indulgences. Thompson encourages her clients to find ways to move that they find joyful and rewarding on their own, not as compensation for what they ate that day. To avoid that trap, she follows three rules when mapping out her own movement regimen. It has to be either mindfulness-based, it has to be outside, or it has to be with other people, she says. One of those three has to happen. For example, I'm never going to go run on a treadmill by myself. I've learned that if I'm in that mode, then I'm probably using exercise as a punishment. Your eating habits have probably changed, and that's okay. Many of us are eating at restaurants less, but that doesn't mean we've all transformed into stock photos of women eating salads. Grocery shopping has changed for a lot of people, too, with packaged and processed foods filling a greater share of our cart than fresh produce. Harp Street says that's okay. For those in lockdown or trying to minimize grocery trips, she notes, shelf-stable foods might be the better option, and they might also be more budget-friendly. The biggest advice I can offer, Harp Street says, is the grace and permission to step back if it seems completely overwhelming to maintain a fitness routine, or if your cravings are leaning you toward comfort foods or familiar foods from your childhood. There will be a time and a place when you can return your focus back to health, and that's for you and you alone to decide. Don't optimize yourself into a corner. Fitness magazines and websites are filled with articles about the right time to exercise. Can you lift more weight in the morning or the evening? But Gillespie advises choosing a movement regimen that actually aligns with your personality and the time of day you function best. If you try to force yourself into an ass-crack-of-dawn yoga routine when you're a night owl, then you're already setting yourself up to fail. Instead, spend some time figuring out when you feel most energetic and what you actually enjoy. We're really good at asking the internet and diet culture these questions, Gillespie says. But we don't often sit with ourselves and ask, Body, what do you need right now? Sometimes it's ice cream. Sometimes it's a walk. Sometimes it's sleeping. Take it slow. The city is reopening, and there's this desire to immediately bounce back into what we were previously doing, Harp Street says. It can create this really chaotic swinging back and forth from one extreme to the other end of the spectrum. One word of caution would be to ease back into things and really discover what this new normal will look like. Cut yourself some slack and a piece of cake. Food is fuel. It's also comfort and crutch and celebration and medicine and probably all of those things at different times for those lucky enough to have a surplus of it. Chefs and food writers love to talk about eating with the seasons. A life-changing pandemic surely qualifies as a season 
which makes adjustments in response to it natural. We don't need to exercise to balance the scales. We don't need the scales. Before the lockdown began, I spooned a peanut M&M from a communal dish at work. Someone told me, you have to walk a football field to burn off the calories from one of those. I don't, though. And now it's time for Nick's Music Corner! Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Though they've not played a show in over a decade, the welterweights, the now-defunct purveyors of hayseed power pop from Kansas City, as they self-describe, have been fairly busy the last few years, digitally releasing live tracks and footage via their YouTube page. However, getting proper studio recordings has been a bit difficult, unless you are able to track down a copy of their one full-length, 2001's Here Goes Nothing, in a used bin somewhere around town. Thankfully, last week, the band dropped Basement to Bumber, 1998-2002, to via Bandcamp. It's an hour-long, 17-track collection featuring most of Here Goes Nothing's tunes, along with some demos and otherwise unreleased cuts with, quote, now-dated lyrics about tucked-in shirts, mild summers, and rotary phones, end quote, as the band puts it. You can get Basement to the Bumper at thewelterweights.bandcamp.com, and you can also find a couple of tracks from the band's Blocksucker Cues EP at their still-extant website, thewelterweights.com. Here's Summer Chill, a heretofore unavailable track about summer love and the 4th of July. Bye. 
finally today, I'm doing an interview here with uh, Rachel Gonzalez. Uh, I imagine that if you are in Kansas City, you probably know about Rachel Gonzalez. She was the youngest ever DNC representative uh, at the Democratic National Convention uh, in the history of Missouri. Uh, just a child that got really into this in her teens uh, and has gone on to be a, a wildly effective force of, of, of political change here. Uh, she is currently prepping everything for the upcoming presidential election. Uh, we get into it a little bit about our preferences, about what we can get excited about, but we all share the same sort of thesis here, which is, uh, oh God, it's time for change. Uh, so uh, here is my interview with Rachel Gonzalez. Rachel Gonzalez, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am doing all right. You know, just keep uh, doing the work to elect Democrats here in Missouri and across the country. Now, before we get into the political side of things, uh, you are still a college student. How has your 2020 gone? I Yeah, well, um, I just finished up my semester. Um, we're in the summer now, so um, I'm not taking any classes now, but I will be going back to school for my senior year in August. Um, and that will be interesting with COVID-19 and seeing what precautions I'll take to keep us safe. Well, hey, at least you didn't lose out on a graduation. At least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> So uh, tell people the wild story of your political history at such a young age. <laughs> yeah, so I got involved in politics when I was around nine years old. I uh, It was the 2008 election. I was learning about presidents in you know, third grade class, and I realized that we had not yet had a female president, and that was really disappointing to me. So... I I, was, I I appreciate that strong. at nine you were outraged about this. You're yeah. you're a really good feminist. Yeah, so I was really excited that you know Hillary Clinton was running at the time, and I'd gone to my first campaign rally ever, which was the Hillary rally um, in Independence in 2008, and that was kind of the start. And I started you know volunteering for candidates when I was around 14, 15. And then um, I sort of moved my way up, and I'm now on the executive committee of the Missouri Democratic Party. Now, you are also uh, the youngest delegate ever to serve in the DNC. Is that correct? Yeah, I am the youngest um, youngest Missouri delegate. Um, there are a few delegates across the country that are probably like a few days younger than me, but I'm the youngest delegate to a convention ever from the state of Missouri, and I was elected at 17. Now, because uh, the entirety of this process uh, is, a, is a legal uh, and political hellscape, can you explain to people what that means, what, what, the, what the convention is and what your role was there? <laughs> yeah, so um, to be a delegate, first you have to sort of um, pick your candidate. In 2016, my candidate was Hillary Clinton. So I ran to be a Hillary Clinton delegate in Missouri's 5th Congressional District against 15 um, amazing women. The way they split it up is that the men run against the men the, and the women run against the women because they want to have an equal number of uh, men and women at the convention. So 
I ran, and I ended up winning. I was only 17. That was a really big deal for a lot of people because delegates from across the country have been historically older. And so what that means is that I got to go to the convention, I got to vote on making Hillary Clinton our Democratic nominee, and I got to vote on the party platform that the DNC put in place. Now, now what sort of... uh... What sort of control do you have there over platform? Uh, because, like, I know that this is state by state ahead of, like, convention stuff. Like, so what What did you get to do in that position? <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I could propose um, anything that I want for the party platform and get other delegates to sign on to it and get our platform committee to support it. And then uh, what would happen is, all of the delegates from across the country would vote on it. And historically, most of the resolutions are passed um, pretty unanimously. Um, there are um, a few resolutions going on that are happening this year that are around um, legalizing, uh, pushing Democrats to legalize marijuana. And um, I will be supporting that one. And that's a new one that our party platform is pushing. So a thing that I think has always uh, bound us in our recent friendship over the, the last year or two is that you and I both um, occupy this space where we always have new stories and everyone that hears our stories is like, how is it possible that you have so many stories? And like every single one of them seems to be something wild, uh, ranging from uh, a, a bizarre situation you had where campus police invaded your dorm room to the fact that like uh i've spent most of this year watching pictures of you on social media where uh various democratic political uh candidates for president are just have you in the car with them or hanging out with you and clearly seeking uh your advice and like supporting these things you're you are a, a college student and you are a player on the national stage and it is fascinating and so, like, awe-inspiring for the rest of Kansas City, I think, to know that we have you in our corner. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. Um, even, you know, when, you know, my friends at school find out these things, they're just like, I think I saw you in a news article. You didn't tell me all of this. I'm like, yeah, well, that's that's a different story. <laughs> so people got to see you uh, traveling around, uh, you know, a state with Julian Castro while he's, clearly, like, treating you like a best friend. Like, that has to be fun, right? <laughs> yeah, Julian Castro was was great. I've been a really big fan of his for a long time, and it was important to me to see him on our Democratic debate stage because um, seeing a Latino candidate um, up there with, you know, with Joe Biden, with Kamala Harris, and with everyone else was just incredible. And... For him to um, say, yes, you can follow me around for the day and see what it's like running a presidential campaign, that was an amazing experience that um, I will be thankful for for a, life, for a lifetime. So here's where, here's where our conversation becomes trickier than it normally is. Um, we had a gigantic uh, sort of list of options here for Democratic presidential candidate. From the outset, who was the person that you were most excited about? 
I think that I, I was most excited about Julian Castro, but yeah. um, it's going to be really important to me that we support our Democratic nominee and not show Biden, so I'll do everything I can to to elect him because we have to get Donald Trump out to, to change our country and make sure we continue to do something about COVID, make sure that, you know, people with disabilities, people who are people of color are, are treated fairly, and this administration has constantly um, been a barrier barrier towards them achieving true equality. So this is this is what I've sort of wanted to get into with you in the weeds for a while now, especially because like we haven't chatted in a bit. There's social media. There's COVID distancing. Uh, you are. You are all in for Biden, and, and I get it, and absolutely everyone should be doing what we can to vote Trump out. And you have, you have more excitement for Joe Biden than I think anyone that I know. Like a, a lot of people I know, I, I feel with Joe Biden personally the way that like I heard so many friends in 2016 that had been big Bernie supporters be like, I'm going to vote for Hillary. I I mean, there's parts of this that mean that I have to hold my nose on this, but I'm, I'm going to do the right thing here. And, and it, is a, it is a problem that I, I know uh, is just like this feature slash bug of the left that has always been the thing that I, I despise, which is that, you know, 2016 on the right, uh, 14 candidates, and every single one of them, Marco Rubio, Lindsey Graham, all these people went out of their way to constantly talk about how Trump was a demagogue and a, and a racist and just like the worst goddamn person in the world. And as soon as he became the candidate, every single one of them got behind him. And I don't know any right-wing voters that didn't also do so, even if they hated so many things about him. And on the left, we have so many people, uh, like we saw in 2016 around the Bernie stuff, and, and as I fear we will see uh, this year or in 2016 around uh, Joe Biden, 2020 around Joe Biden, that uh, they just won't get in line for the thing that they think is right just because it's not their person. And so I, I think the thing that I've been wanting to ask you about, because you have this enthusiasm for Biden, I'm here to support, I'm going to go canvas, I'm going to go do the work. It doesn't, it doesn't thrill me, and, and there's nothing that he's done that has made me feel really, really good. He is not putting children in cages. He is not destroying the rule of law each and every day. He is not violating the emoluments clause to like put money in his own pocket. What is it about Joe Biden that excites you? Because I want to share in your excitement. <laughs> Yeah, so um, a lot of people told me this, told me that they're not excited about going out to vote this time or uh, turning in their mail-in ballot as this election will be. Um, and I tell them, you know, I'm not that excited either. I right. am scared. I am voting because I'm scared of what our Supreme Court will look like when it's an all-conservative Supreme Court. I'm voting because I'm scared of four more presidents, four more years of a president that calls climate change a hoax. I'm voting because I'm scared that we have a president that is letting people die because he doesn't like their governor, or letting people die because he simply doesn't care, and his supporters care more about going out and getting their hair cut. I'm voting because I'm scared that we'll never do anything about gun control, 
and when kids return to school, there will be more shootings. I'm voting because I'm scared that we are losing more allies because we have a president that constantly makes us look foolish. And I'm voting because I'm scared that my generation will have so much damage to repair by the time that we are in charge. So I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. And I don't have to be excited. I'm scared and I'm angry. And seeing Donald Trump leave the White House, that will be exciting. There's, there's something about it that uh, has, has felt like we're going to win by just being boring. And, there, and I don't have a problem with that because for four years, uh, I think I've totally supported the idea of like, oh, God, we have to make politics boring again because mm-hmm. every day can't be a new civics lesson. And like, hey, can, can that person do that? Oh, they're just going to do it. Okay, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, yeah, I get what we're fighting for, and I'm, we're, we're on board. I just wanted to know where you stood on that. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I always tell my friends that, you know, it's better, better to have a boring president than one that has a new scandal every single day. I'd like to go back to having a president that their biggest scandal is that they wore a tan suit to a press conference. <laughs> so uh, we have a we have a boring president. I'm all for it. I uh, I have friends that write on the John Oliver's show, and uh, one of their great regrets uh, from the last few years was that while Obama was in office, they were doing pieces about very minor uh, policy details where their anger was turned to like a nine or a ten about it. And then when uh, Trump came along, there was nowhere to turn that dial up, and they were like oh, we should have really calibrated that uh, to like a six or something to be prepared. And I was like, you know what? I, I just, I, I, people like you and I will never not be political. Uh, it would be nice to be political about specific issues that we care about, again, instead of having to say like, we must burn it all down because every part of it is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I'm definitely not a one-issue voter. I care about so many issues. Um, so when people tell me, oh, I can't vote for this person because of this, I can't vote for them because of this one thing, I'm like, okay, but they support 95% of what you want. While right. the other candidates support 0% of what you want. So you have to pick your battles. You right. have to choose the candidates that are going to help you the most that are going to move us forward the most. And even if that's the, the Democratic nominee that you don't like, um, that's just something that, you know, we have, to, we have to do and we have to fight for. As a last question, because uh, we are all living uh, in the end times right now, um, what are you doing to stay mentally healthy through uh, both uh, corona lockdown and protest time? <laughs> Yeah, so I have stayed home pretty much um, since the, the primary election, which is June, which was March 10th. So I've been home for a very long time, but um, I live with, you know, um, some family and my niece and nephews. So I, I do walks with them several times a week. Um, we do lots of STEM activities, things that I had bought them for Christmas. Um, and so spending time with my family has been very beneficial to making sure that, you know, <laughs> I'm safe and sane and that um, I take a break from politics sometimes because my world is entirely filled of politics. Where can people find you online and support the sort of work that you're doing? 
yeah, so they can find my Facebook page, which is it's public, so where people can follow me and see all of my public posts, um, at Rachel Gonzalez, or they can find me at Twitter at Rachel R. Gonzalez, and um, follow me there as well. Rachel, thank you so much for talking to me today, and I will see you out on our version of the campaign trail. Yes, see you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And that's been Streetwise from The Pitch, Kansas City. I've been your host, Brock Wilbur. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you're doing good. I hope you're taking care of yourselves. Uh, Have a good week. Just have a good week. Have a nice time out there. Uh, Maybe I'll see you on the street. Uh, If I do, you better have your goddamn mask on. I will, but then we'll nod at each other, and we'll be friends, and it'll be a a fun, cool time. Um, Please support The Pitch. Uh, We are (laughs) in a drastic financial situation. Uh, but we are trying to stay here and keep doing the great work that we do for you. Uh, you can become a member, a sustaining member of what we do on the website or make a one-time donation. We are still selling a coloring book based on Casey. I don't know how I got into the coloring book game, but here we are. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for supporting what we do. Pitch in and we'll make it through. Bye, 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 bye.